You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. I'd love you to give a warm welcome to Dan, who's going to read the Bible for us tonight. I would have preferred a hot welcome to a warm one, but we'll settle with that. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 2, verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is... Try that again. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you are purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of any kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Good evening, everyone. Great to see you all tonight. So for those of you um, that you come on an evening uh, but don't come in a morning, I want to really encourage you to uh, listen to our podcast um, of our morning uh, talks. We're going through the book of Daniel um, in the morning, and it's, it's all about the same theme, but in the morning, I'm really trying to help the church navigate the era that we're in, uh, I believe, culturally. Um, and how we can be followers of Christ, disciples of Christ in this exile era and thrive. And so I really want to encourage you, um, for those of you who haven't caught up with, with Daniel, to do so, because I, I begin to unpack a little bit more prophetically where I feel like we uh, need to be as a church and where we're going, uh, particularly in the context of our, of our society. And uh, last week, we began uh, looking at at 1 Peter, and Peter's addressing Christians who are under persecution, and they're deemed as exiles, as strangers, as aliens uh, in the society. They they weren't bowing down to the culture uh, of the day, And, and we're facing in our society, in our culture right now, And in our context, exactly the same thing, which is why I believe this is so, so helpful uh, for us. We're facing um, a progressive marginalization 
and persecution. And there's a sense that we are almost out of step with culture. And uh, therefore, Peter's letter is right on the money for us in our time to help give us clarity and understanding, not just how do we survive. That's not what we're after at all. Um, we're, We're after... How do we thrive? How do we influence in uh, today's world? And the response of followers of Jesus in a time and an era of exile, commonly we do one of three things. We, we become imitators where we just sync with culture. We just try and assimilate and try and fit in. Uh, secondly, uh, we become intimidated. And when we become intimidated, we try and withdraw uh, from society and kind of get into our holy huddle and our cozy bubbles, if you like. Um, Or we become infuriated. And uh, I've seen this increasingly so, where people think that um, the answer may come through governments and, and politics of today is that people become infuriated. They become angry with the world and the state of the world, and they long Uh, to bring facets and values uh, of Christendom uh, back again. And so we've got to resist one of those three uh, responses and reactions. And uh, Peter, unhelpfully, as I said last week, doesn't really give us any practical advice in the beginning of this letter and how to navigate this era, uh, but instead emphasizes the indicative before the imperative uh, looking at really who we are and the why before giving us a series of like, okay, this is now how you behave. This is how now you live this out. Uh, because he wants to, uh, to kind of help us to grasp some crucial spiritual truths. And last week I talked about how we've got to uh, be rooted in identity, our de- identity in Christ, in our future hope. And also to have a healthy perspective on trials and suffering because that produces a genuine faith uh, in us. And Peter, and we see this with Paul's letters, constantly does this uh, because it's, it's our understanding that we need to grasp of gospel grammar. There's an order to these things, is that we want to emphasize who we are, who we belong to in Christ before uh, what we do with that. We want to emphasize our being, that we're human beings before human doings. So who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the truths of the Word of God. This is so, so important that this is our foundation. The activity always, always follows our identity. And so many followers of Christ get it the wrong way around. I can't tell you how many people, Joni and I, counsel and pastor, and when it comes down to the root issues, it's a broken identity. And, and, and when we don't have healing and wholeness and perspective and truth on that, is that we try and perform and do things for God and act like a Christian, and we just become frustrated, and we just... Um, We've got to really own that level of of brokenness and who we are and allow the Holy Spirit to come and to bring healing to those broken places of our identity, of our makeup, of who we are. Understanding of a revelation of the Father heart of God, of the love of God, to know deep in your heart that you are loved by Him, that we are holy, we are the righteousness of God, we are saints, 
and therefore we live up to who we are. Our identity is such a, such a crucial thing. Uh, I, I read this quote and I love it. Without the indicative of what God does, the imperative is addressed to a helpless sinner, the victim of his illusions. It becomes a commandment that crushes or that drives to vain and presumptuous efforts. And I've, in over 30 years of following Jesus, I've had many seasons like that. Vain and presumptuous efforts. Victim of illusions because I've not got the right order of things of how to be a disciple of Christ. So last week the foundation is laid. And then verse uh, 13, beginning of this passage, we have a therefore. And where there, uh, where there is a therefore, you immediately ask what is it there for. And so that's where we're at today. And Peter's central point, verse 15 uh, this is the, the one nail right now that he wants to hammer home. Is that being a follower of Christ, being an exile and a stranger in our culture means you are called to this one thing called holiness. We are called to holiness. Called to holiness. And I really believe uh, that God is calling his church back to rediscovering holiness. Um, uh, Guy who's really familiar to, to, to many streams, many denominations, phenomenal author um, and Bible teacher and pastor Simon Ponsonby uh, wrote a book called Different, Living a Holy Life. And um, this is an abridged version of what he said in the book, but he talks about doing church. We've tried a lot of stuff, program on program. Many are pretty good. I've tried most on the list, and some have proved good and fruitful, others less so, but in the large scale of things, clearly not enough. The church in the West, for all her efforts, is still shrinking rapidly. Despite our efforts, are we more Christ-like? And he's talking about programs. He's not saying that structure and programs are wrong, but he's just posing the question, are we more effective because of these programs? And he says, but we need to put more confidence in God than our programs. And we need to get more God into our church. <laughs> I love that. We need to get more God into our church. It's like, that's where God lives, isn't it? Church. But if we want to get more people to church, we need to let more of Jesus into his church. God must be the church's USP. And we need to be a credible witness to Christ's transforming power. We need to be holy as he is holy, God's immediate presence is predicated on holiness. We need to take off our shoes. We need vintage church. We need holy church. And verse 16 in this passage says, Be holy because I am holy. So here is Peter's premise. His central point is we're called to holiness. The imperative there is to be holy because God is holy. That's why we're called fundamentally to be holy. It's a call to not mimic and imitate culture around us, but a call to imitate and mimic God. It's a call to Christ-likeness. Holiness, what does it mean? If you've been around church for donkey's years, you'll know that that word holiness has been thrown about and it, it can become quite a religious word and we don't really grasp what it means. 
Um, it's, a, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. But what does it mean? And in the Hebrew, it means to be distinctive. It means to be different. It means to be set apart. So when, when God is calling us as followers of Jesus to be holy, he's calling his church to be like him, which is to be different in the world around us, to be set apart, to be distinctive. And Peter references here and quotes the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And 50 plus times you have in that book of Leviticus, uh, it says, the Lord says, I am holy, I am the Lord. I am holy, I am the Lord. And this is where Peter is taking that language from and that imperative for us as followers of Jesus. And the whole understanding of Leviticus is that under the Lord, there was all these laws and rules and ways, and that was God's way of communicating Israel's distinctiveness and uniqueness. So, so you, you may read books like Leviticus, and it, it's, an, it's an unusual book, strange book, and in um, a complicated book, but when we read a lot of that, it's basically God's way in the, and under the old covenant of communicating uniqueness and difference. And the key word there was separation. So the call to holiness and uniqueness uh, for Israel was to be separate, separate from the rest of the world. The Israelites were like an island uh, in a world of false gods. And they were marked by these different ways and rules and laws in order to reinforce that. And the question was, how was God going to isolate and protect them? Well, by the things like what they ate and how the food was prepared and how they dressed. So, so God was isolating them. Okay, that's the most simple way of communicating what that was all about. And it was so that they couldn't be influenced. So God created a peculiar people. He created a separate people like this so that they couldn't be influenced. Um, and in that, they weren't, it just wasn't just for holiness sake and to be separate, but it was also um, so that they could proclaim truth and they could proclaim who God was. Now, under the New Testament, and you can read about this in Hebrews, particularly chapter 7 to 10, under the New Testament covenant of grace, um, that law goes now out of the window. That ceremonial law has gone. And Paul in Colossians 2 verse 16 says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Okay, and this is where we are now. As um, the church, the people of God, um, under the new covenant, we are found in Christ. So Leviticus communicates a foreshadowing and symbols, if you like, of what has now been fulfilled in Jesus so under the law, we, we sacrifice, we come under the law in order to meet with God in a temple, in a tabernacle. God is so perfect, so holy, so pure. Um, if we don't go through these uh, rituals, then you would die. In the New Testament, Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate sacrifice. And now amazingly, 
this is, should blow our minds, is God's Holy Spirit, his glory, his presence, the person of the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us as followers of Jesus. You know, and he, he doesn't come as a, as a caravan or as an Airbnb or as a one night in a hotel. He has come and he's made his home within us. It's incredible presence, the person of the Holy Spirit. And he resides in us as a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here to make us more like him, to make us more like Jesus. So holiness continues to be the mark of uniqueness and separation as exiles in this world. And it's interesting um, that we've got to think like this, that holiness is, is God's way and it's really important that we grasp this from a, an ethics point of view, is that where do people, so think about people in your world who don't have any faith, where do they get their sense of right and wrong from? Where, where do people actually get their morality from, if you like? And most people gain their sense of morality through something called social construct i.e. what is acceptable now, and this is why things are shifting in culture, what is acceptable now, and in that, what is the general consensus view? And through that social construct, people gain that sense of morality and what they consider to be right, that this is the right thing. And often um, with that, through not just popularity, but through being emotionally led and our feelings is that that is reaffirmed. So what's the standard? Is it the majority? Is it what our culture teaches? Morality is socially constructed. It's something, is it something that we as humans have made up? We, we figure out as we go along, or is there a God who is moral, who is holy, who is perfect, and who is actually involved in this universe. He, he didn't just wind it up and let it go and see what happens. But every day, God is intimately involved in the detail and script of our lives. He's intimately involved in the universe, and he has revealed to us his moral standard through Jesus and through his word, the Bible. And so we as Christians, it's really important, we, we need to denounce morality that is derived from social construct or popular culture. We believe that God has set in his word what is just, what is moral, what is right, and what is wrong. And it's interesting, again, referencing the book of Leviticus, not only does it communicate and elevate personal holiness, but it also elevates corporate and social holiness as a community. And we see that God values holiness as a people through a number of different ways. One of the ways that Israel was different than the rest of the nations is that they were to be respectful in their family. 
Okay, you may think I'm going a little bit Sunday school, old school here, but stick with me. Leviticus 19.3, each of you must respect your mother and father. And all the parents go, amen, preach it, tweet it. Um, what does holiness mean? How is Israel to be different? Be generous to the poor. So respect your parents, be generous to the poor. Leviticus 19, verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So you see socially as a community, holiness this way. And these, these, are, these are why some of the things that we value and, and Josh has communicated some of that. Uh, what does it mean to be holy for ancient Israel? It meant to care for those with disabilities. Leviticus 19.14, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Also meant judicial integrity in the justice system. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor, favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly and to be concerned about immigrants. When foreigners reside among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigners residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Really challenging things. What it means to be holy as a community of people. So the idea that holiness, the distinctiveness of God's people was a comprehensive term, it embraced all of life, not just all personally, but corporately, which is why, and this is a whole other sermon, <laughs> talking about the yeast and the dough and about how we deal with discipline in the church and uh, dealing with individual sins because they affect the whole body of Christ. There's no such thing as personal or private sins. Everything that we do has a trail. It has an effect, a relational effect on people. And whether you can't trace it with your own eyes, certainly spiritually that happens. Which is why constantly there is this, um, the, the word of God is, is saying to the church to be holy, to be set apart, to be different as a community. And so we recognize that holiness affects our families, our spirituality, our, how we relate to people um, who don't know Jesus, to immigrants, to the poor, to our judicial system. It's not about a religion. It's not about, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I want to be moral, I don't steal, I don't murder, I don't lie. They're the basic tenets of what it means to be human. But we're called to be like Christ, but also that affects us as a community and how we relate to people. So, here's the question for us tonight. Through these verses, how do we nurture holiness in our lives? And I think Peter reveals three things. These are three things I just want to leave with you. First of all, we are reformed. Secondly, we do not conform. Thirdly, we transform. Firstly, we are reformed. Verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed. If, if you think about your own life, or maybe someone that you know who has broken free from uh, maybe repeat offending, maybe they come out of prison, or the grips of addiction, so that they are reformed, if you like, 
it's often because they had something to look forward to. It's often they had a goal to look forward to or a vision or a higher hope that they were pursuing that made them break free from that thing that enslaved them. And I think this is true just uh, for all of us. You know, you, you aspire to be successful in a, in a career. You don't just drift in life. You don't just drift in, say, your studies or just with work ethic. You know, uh, I may have had an aspiration uh, to lead, a, a godly ambition to lead many, many years ago, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to work at it. You've got to do things and live in a certain way in order to do that, in order for God to trust you with, uh, with people. Um, you know, you aspire to have a great marriage, so you don't just want to exist, coexist with your spouse and be passive. It, it takes strategy and intentionality and, and work and rhythms and habits and different things. It's the same if you want to be a great mom or dad, you want to be someone who's single, and, and it's like, okay, if I really want to be a human being, a follower of Christ that flourishes, I need to have a reason why. I need to have a picture of a preferred future, which is what vision is. Without vision, people perish. Without vision, people cast off restraint. There's nothing to channel your energies and desires. In the King James Bible, who likes a bit of old King James Josh on the back row, thank you. Like bingo. Says this, wherefore, and I love the King James, gird up the loins of your mind. I mean, next week we have the Bible reading in the King James. I think that we, we should do that. It's just so much better. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rich, very rich there. And the image here is of a man with, of course, a long robe, and he gathers his robe and tucks it into his belt so that he can run the race. So we want to be holy, we want to be like Jesus, we want to be different, distinctive. We've got to have that sense of vision and running the race and focus and be self-controlled. It suggests to me clear-cut, decisive action. We do not negotiate <laughs> with temptation. We do not play fast and loose with like what's near to the line. But the Bible's always saying, run, run away from those things. In fact, Galatians 5 verse 7, maybe this is a verse for someone here tonight. You were running a good race, but who cut in on you? to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. So we don't have energy or time to slip into sinful habits, behavior, but we behave according to our new nature and identity because we have a new vision. The vision is Christ. The vision is eternity. It's seeing him, it's living for him. But it's also if we want to thrive in exile in this life, then it requires us to run the race in such a way. Secondly, we do not conform. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. 
But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For Israel, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And uh, I was away for this, but apparently, because he told me Josh did a great talk over the summer on the fear of God. And, <laughs> and um, another pathway to holy living, that was a joke by the way, in case you're thinking Josh actually said that. Um, pathway to holy living is obedience, in obedience is driven by a holy and healthy awe of God. So Peter states that a driver for him, a driver for him is knowing God as a judge. And because of that, we live in reverent fear. So we've got to be really careful here how we approach this because for many people, um, conceptually and in their mind, the whole idea of judgment and fear and maybe something from their background in terms of fatherhood, it can instill all sorts of subliminal things. But in a healthy way, recognizing that God is part of him being loving, full of grace and compassion and merciful, that he is a judge. And because of that, we live in reverent fear. And, and that vocabulary is just non-existent in today's world. But we've got to, if, if we want to live holy lives in exile, then I think we've got to have this as our daily narrative in our minds. Um, because we'll only take holiness seriously when we see God for who he is, that God is both loving and a judge that we will give. I Let me just talk about me, okay? Forget you lot. I will give an account to Jesus one day for how I've lived my life. I will give an account for how I have treated my wife, raised my children, preached the gospel, pastored a church, whatever I have done in private and in the public, I will give an account to him. And so that leads to me in my life like a healthy fear of God and his authority in my life. When Jesus talks about God the Father, two things comes into their minds. He's affectionate, but someone who has complete authority. I love that famous quote, C.S. Lewis. He's good, but he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. And if we read the Bible truthfully, God is holy, and we need to have a holy awe of him and a respect of him. And this is a spur for us. This spurs us on to living like Jesus. And thirdly, we are transformed from the inside out. Verse 18 to 20. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. In other words, if we want to live a life of holiness and be different, it is at its most basic level to observe things externally. But what Christianity is all about and the revelation of the New Testament and what Christ has done and the coming of the Spirit is that it is an internal inward transformation. It is a work of grace. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, Peter talks actually in 2 Peter about, he says, make every effort. So it's not about being passive. That we've got to fight, we've got to take authority, we've got to be proactive, we've got to be intentional. Spiritual warfare, we have an enemy. So we've got to battle, we've got to fight. That's what Christians are called to do. We're to make every effort. But simultaneously, it is a work of the Holy Spirit transforming us, making us more like him from the inside out. Again, C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, what is the good of telling the ships how to steer so as to avoid collisions if, in fact, they are such crazy old tubs, only C.S. Lewis could say, crazy old tubs, that they cannot be steered at all. You cannot make men, women good by law, and without good men, women, you cannot have a good society. That is why we must go on to think about the second thing of morality inside the individual. Inside, it's a work, the Holy Spirit. So, the more we yield to his work, the more we spend time with God in prayer, abiding with him, the more time we spend in his word, and that word is like a mirror on our own fallen hearts and our proclivity to go away from God and what is right, and we keep getting brought back to him as he woos us and loves us and wants what's best for us, This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and he does it over an entire lifetime. So do not be hard on yourself on a bad day. Do not think you've blown it without the grace and redemption of God. Absolutely not. Again, let me talk to myself. Every single day, I yield to the grace of Jesus. I come back to the cross. I need the gospel My heart needs the gospel, needs to be reminded of who I am in Christ and what he's called us to. And I think how we, again, do this, it talks about in this last little bit, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so by you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We need Like babies need pure milk, free from preservatives, no additives. It's not like a fringe benefit. It is necessary to grow. Uh, When we had our youngest, Elsie, um, we had to go back into hospital. It was in two weeks, wasn't it? She'd lost uh, 20% of her birth weight. And that was... um, turns out it was to do with her feeding. And so this wasn't something that was just like, okay, you might need it. No, this was the nurses were telling us, the doctors were telling us, this girl needs food ASAP. And um, it, was, it was a tough time, but it made me realize that the Bible and experiencing, encountering the Holy Spirit is not something that's just, if I feel like it, it is necessary for our growth. We cannot mature, we cannot grow without God's word, about having the the will of God, the whole counsel of God, not bits and pieces and whatever looks good, but that is pure, unadulterated, his word. Let me encourage you as I finish. And um, Jenny, can you come up? I'd love to do some ministry. Um, 
it's really important that we recognize that holiness and happiness go hand in hand. There's this false uh, view that's sadly um, crept into the church that being holy is being miserable. <laughs> Far from it. Holiness and happiness, uh, and many people begin as prophets and end up as police men and women. And, um, but it's not about that. It's about tasting that the Lord is good. Tasting his goodness and his mercy. Recognizing what he has called you, the glorious inheritance. And um, living in accordance with that. When, whenever I used to go out and turn into adulthood and start to, you know, go to, go to the pub or whatever with my friends, my dad would say to me, remember who you are. He never said to me, make sure you do this, do that. He said, remember who you are. That had such huge effects on me rather than okay this is you know you, you can have half a shandy I still have half a shandy uh, which is I don't know the people behind the bar always seem to laugh at me when I order half a shandy but um, it's not about those lines and rules it's about remember who you are and live according you're here to be different to be set apart to make a difference to be a person of influence every day is an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. So we want to be sober-minded. We want to be alert. We want to be aware. We want to be right with God and right with people so that we're hearing God and we're just flowing in that presence and in that power to help people. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.